are entering the Freedom Hut. Part of the caravan reaches the U.S.-Mexico border. Looks like they were able to hop on buses after all. There are many more that are following in behind them. We are facing a continued showdown at the border, plus the crisis of those already crossing it. We'll get into that and all the latest in Florida and much more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Remember when we were talking a lot about about the caravan? Remember we were hearing about this one um, constantly, right? Day in and day out, there was talk about this caravan. Well, the media was saying, there was this refrain you kept hearing, oh, they're a thousand miles away. Oh, they're 995 miles away. Like that, that means that they're never going to get here. There's not a problem. Well, Well, there is a problem, of course. The problem is that when you actually drill into this a little bit, you find out that, oh, oh, hold on a second. Um, they can take buses. They can actually get here. But but here's what the media was saying to this. Play clip 14. The migrants still have a very, very long way to go, more than 1,000 miles. That's roughly equivalent to the distance from Miami all the way up here to Washington, D.C. To give its perspective on how far we are and how long it will take them, when they hit Mexico City, many will try to catch trains. And while Brownsville is the closest entry point, which is, you know, a thousand miles from here, the safest, they tell us, is to jump a train and go over to Tijuana on the Pacific side as well, even though it's twice as long. Caravan of Central Americans traveling through Mexico have briefly halted their journey. They are about a thousand miles from the U.S. border. Remember that song, I wouldn't walk 5,000 or 500 miles. Sorry, not uh, not 5,000. That was one of the most annoying songs of the 90s. But it turns out they're not going to walk 500 or 1,000 miles to get across Mexico. They're walking uh, to a train or a bus, and that is why we can report the following. From San Diego, quote, people on the Mexican side of the border could be seen climbing the fence near Borderfield State Park Tuesday afternoon after part of the Central American migrant caravan arrived in Tijuana. Several people scaled the fence and sat on top of it. A few jumped or crawled to openings in the fence onto U.S. soil, but quickly ran back as Border Patrol agents approached. Several border agents were seen patrolling the area in trucks, helicopters, and on horses. U.S. Border Patrol sent a news release stating it believes some of the people at the fence are from the caravan that has been traveling through Mexico from Honduras. Oh, you mean they're not going to walk a thousand miles? Oh, wow. You you mean that? Yeah, what a shock. They're able to get to transportation and now they're already at the border? Who's been telling you this all along? I know, I'm just saying. I've, I've been telling you that this is what was going to happen. And sure enough... Here we are, and this is what's happening. They have already arrived. At least part of them have arrived at the border. Uh, But we've been told all kinds of lies by the press about all this. Like, for example, there's just no evidence of of criminality at the border. Remember Chuck Todd saying this, play 13. 
Well, there's a lot to unpack in that. Keep in mind, there is no evidence of any criminals in the Central American caravan. Criminals is everywhere, okay? Uh, it's criminals in here. I mean, it is. I mean, clearly, that guy must be some kind of right-wing operative with his criminals are everywhere. Clearly, that guy is, uh, you know, he's telling people what what he thinks they what he thinks the right wants to hear or you know no, I don't think so I think he just knows there's criminals cuz he's in he's in the caravan and he sees the guys with MS13 face tattoos that tends to be a tip off you tend to get a sense when you see some MS13 face tattoos that maybe the person maybe it's a style statement I get it but maybe they're actually an MS13 maybe that's what's really going on this caravan, which uh, has led to so much gloating on the left, they're saying, oh, it was a big it was a big mistake for Trump to talk about this, a big mistake for him to make an issue of this. Uh, I disagree with that. I think it would have been an even tougher night for Republicans if there had not been this juxtaposition on what the left stands for here and what the right stands for. What, what do conservatives believe? When it comes to our border, what do conservatives believe when it comes to our national sovereignty? You know, I mean, the president speaks about this in no uncertain terms. Play clip 12. But certainly you have people coming up through the southern border from the Middle East and other places that are not appropriate for our country. And I'm not letting them in. They're not coming in. All right. They're not coming in. We're going to do whatever we have to. They're not coming in. Now, this is where the fight really intensifies, because what the left says is, oh, they're all just trying to claim asylum. They know they're scamming. They know they're frauds. This is fraudulent. This notion that all these people qualify for asylum. Do all six million Hondurans qualify for asylum? Or maybe it's eight million. I forget the number. But do the many millions of Hondurans qualify for asylum? The answer is, well, if you're on the left, if you're a Democrat and you realize that there's a likelihood of them voting for you, then I, I guess the answer is yes. Then I, I suppose the answer is yeah, sure. They they, they qualify. Uh, you know, the, the more the merrier. But for the rest of us who have real concerns about this country and who believe that our sovereignty and our security is something that the government is tasked with and that it matters. This isn't some secondary concern. This is real. Uh, this is a giant loophole and, and it is a slap in the face to American sovereignty. The whole thing is a, uh, a, a, a giant game that the left and these activists and we're, we're going to talk, by the way, to somebody, a friend of mine who has been down embedded with the caravan recently about what he saw. Here's a short version. A lot of activists, a lot of international money coming in. What a surprise that is to none of you. Right. We knew that was coming. Um, but this is going to turn into a nasty political fight. Make make no mistake about it. Um, here, here's what happens. They will show up at the border. They will claim asylum. They'll all be saying exactly what they think, what they've been coached to say at the border. So they have the greatest likelihood of being able to stay in the United States. And from there, they will go into the interior of the United States and they'll have a court date, even if they show up for the court date and they fail to get asylum granted to them, they will not suffer interior enforcement. That's not going to happen. So, you know, 
there you have it. That means, in short, they get to stay. Here's a former acting Immigrations and Customs Enforcement Director Tom Homan, for example, talking about this. Play three. Game on. I mean, I think the, the administration is ready. Uh, CBP has, uh, of course, got a lot more resources down there, you know, with the military building the infrastructure and the, and the fencing. You got a lot more inspectors and asylum officers down there from CIS ready to start these interviews if they come to a port of entry. If they decide to enter this country legally, of course, the president's proclamation is not going to be allowed to claim asylum. If these people do come to the United States and, and they'll be detained until they see a judge, because back in 2014, when this first started, when they were detained long enough to see a judge, more than 80% of them lost their cases. They got put on planes and sent home, which sent a strong signal to Central America, and the crossings uh, depleted way low. So mm -hmm. hopefully we can send another message. They'll get their due process, but if an order, a judge orders them removed, they got to go. That is the key. That's where the Democrats get all slippery. You can't let them evade the center of this argument. The problem is not that there's an asylum system. The problem is the abuse of the asylum system asylum system, and the lack of a willingness to send people back home who fail to qualify for asylum once they go through the process. If there is no enforcement mechanism, then guess what? They're not going to stop coming across the border. And this then becomes a way to leapfrog the entire legal immigration system in a way that incentivizes people to engage in really bad behavior, uh, to lie, I mean, to commit fraud. You know, it's on the books, for example, in this country, folks. If you have a fraudulent marriage to get a green card, you know what the penalty is for that? Up to five years in federal prison. And once in a while, they'll actually enforce that against somebody. Once in a while, they'll, they'll press criminal charges against somebody for a fraudulent marriage. At least somebody's got to go through the whole process of getting married for that, right? You know, that comes with its own headaches. So, so I'm told. So I'm told. And a lot of you are like, fuck, watch yourself. But, you know, that, that's, that's where all this starts to fall apart, on the enforcement side. You either enforce these laws or the laws cannot be considered to be serious. You know, you either have interior enforcement of whoever comes in as part of this caravan or just understand that what you're doing here is allowing whomever can get to the border to stay in the United States and to get around the rest of our legal immigration system. And this just cannot be allowed to stand. This is completely unacceptable. It is an end run on our system. It means that we do not have effective control over who comes here and that the Democrats are so complicit in this whole thing. They're encouraging it just tells you everything you need to know. I mean, they are not about the rule of law. They are not concerned with what the long-term implications of this will be for the country. In fact, they, they welcome it. I want to know why, you know, I, I want to force Democrats to start having to defend certain propositions. Like, why is illegal immigration even bad? Democrats can't really answer that question for you because they don't think illegal immigration is bad. You know, they may say, oh, well, we have laws and say, OK, but you won't enforce those laws. So and whenever we try to enforce those laws, you act like we're a bunch of big, mean meanies. So why is illegal immigration bad, Democrats? Let's ask Nancy Pelosi. Let's ask Chuck Schumer and all the rest of them. What is it about illegal immigration that you disapprove of? I don't know that they could tell you. I don't know that they would have an answer for you. I, I think that it would just be a bunch of, well, I don't know. 
We're going to have, uh, again, I said my friend Ami Horowitz will be joining us here. He was down at the Caribbean. He's got some very interesting stuff and firsthand that he picked up. We'll get to him this hour for sure. Uh, and Ami's, you know, entertaining guy, really smart guy. And, and he'll tell us what's going on with this caravan. And it's a lot of the stuff that you and I have known, but the media tells us, oh, no, we're, we're crazy for thinking this stuff, right? We're, we're bad people for believing these things. And, uh, you know, it, it's on us for being such a bunch of, uh, you know, evil right-wing Republicans who, who don't just want to take in the tired, the poor, the weak, and the hungry of the whole world at our southern border. Maybe it didn't prevent some, uh, maybe, or rather, maybe it didn't prevent the loss of the House in the midterms. I think it prevented, I, I think it had a big factor in the whole blue wave uh, not being a real wave. I mean, it was something, but it wasn't a blue wave. Uh, but we've got more on this coming up this hour, team. Stay with me. You know, it's funny to me. I, I, I keep having to remind myself that, yeah, of course the media's lied about the caravan. Media is completely in meltdown mode 24-7. They think the president is a level of evil that is unprecedented in this country. And they, they really believe that. And I, I guess they also believe that the, the president specifically doesn't want thousands and thousands of people to abuse our asylum system. Which I would note also, if you really want to look at it, those numbers, the more asylees we take in through the southern border that are doing this whole, oh, I'm from Honduras, I don't want to be there anymore, that also affects our perception of how many people are getting asylum every year, and that includes from countries that really are in the midst of a terrible war, that really are in the middle of a situation where if they do not get out, they are going to be, uh, they're going to be murdered, which is really not the case. And I, I know people, oh, how could you say that? It, it's really not the case with most of these Nicaraguans. They're just saying what they think they have to say in order to you know, be be led into the country. Uh, in order to be in America, they are claiming to be fleeing. But but, but here's just a, sometimes I like to remind you all, and we, by the way, we've got Ami Horowitz. I, I know I want to bring him in right away. We're going to get to him in just a minute here. He's been down there with the caravan. He's got incredible stuff to tell us. You're really going to want to hear about this. Um, but just here's the way when you think about how the media covers the caravan, just remember how they cover the administration too. play play eight. Is this president trying to impersonate Hugo Chavez, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, Vladimir Putin? What a great case officer uh, Vladimir Putin is. He knows how to handle uh, an asset, and that's what he's doing with the president. When do we see almost a shadow government come out and say we cannot side with the government? Why is President Trump showing sympathy for white nationalists and other hate groups? We can surely say his words have absolutely emboldened white supremacists. He has given oxygen to racists. He is clearly trying to ignite a civil war in this country. There's a sign out there that's been hung up in the White House or outside the White House saying, if you're not white, you're not especially welcome. The president gets two scoops. You know, everyone else around the table gets one. Uh, and no word if there were sprinkles. 16 tweets today to start the new year, some of them deeply disturbing. These are the messages from a person who is not well, from a leader who is not fit for office. Yep, he gets more scoops of ice cream than other people. What else do you have to know? <laughs> that's, that's, really, that's really all there is to say. He gets, he gets too many ice cream scoops. He's a, he's a terrible, terrible man because of that, with his ice cream scoops and his... 
meanness and all. I mean, that they just there's nothing about the way the media talks about uh, this president when, when it comes to this presidency that is is fair, that is objective. I mean, they are just constantly trashing him, and and I and I wish. I wish we could just force them to realize that if they want to regain some of the credibility that they've lost, they could start by, oh, I don't know, reporting on the administration like they would any other administration. And that includes the way they've talked about the caravan. They keep saying that Trump fear mongers are on the caravan when the truth is that they've spent so much time convincing us that Trump, out of just sheer racism, opposes this caravan. It's just madness. He's trying to reestablish sovereignty at our southern border. We have a huge problem. I was telling you about this yesterday. 2,000 people a day on some days caught trying to cross in the United States. That's a lot of people. And those are just the ones who were caught. You know, No other country would allow this. No other country accepts this. But we're supposed to accept this. And I always want to ask the question, why? Based on what? You know, under under what rules, what rubric are we supposed to sit around and say to ourselves, you know what, we don't we don't get to have a border anymore. We don't get to have a country anymore. So these leftist radicals can just do whatever they want to the country and and in every way that they can try and, uh, you know, uh, undermine the principles of conservatism that so many of us believe in. I mean, that's it's just amazing. Um, it's, it's a really frustrating situation and it really bothers me, but we got Ami, um, Ami calling in in just a moment here. He's going to be joining us. Uh, he's actually at the freedom hunt at NYC. I'm down here in DC. We're also going to talk about Florida. What's the latest there on the election showdown and, uh, some due process stuff on college campuses for sexual assault tribunals that and more coming up team. Ever present among the thousands of migrants are workers of Pueblo Sin Fronteras clad in black t-shirts and colored vests. Pueblo Sin Fronteras means people without borders. They're the ones that seem to be most involved in organizing and mobilizing this caravan. The organization, as the name implies, is looking to create a world without borders, which seems to be one of the reasons why they organized this caravan in the first place, to flout American sovereignty. Ami Horowitz is a documentary filmmaker. That was from his latest in which he goes down and gets us some some ground truth on the caravan. Ami, great to have you back, sir. How you doing? It's always a pleasure. It's great to uh, great to be here. Things are going great. Thanks, man. So, uh, what did you f- tell me about this uh, Pueblo Sin Fronteras? I don't speak any Spanish. So that was sorry good. About that, but tell that me about this good. group. So they are technically a Honduran-based group, uh, and they're really the ones who are this this whole notion. This thing is an organic uh, event that kind of you know, spur out of the ground is, is such a load of BS. This was a highly, is a highly organized event that was spearheaded by this group, Fronteras, uh, Pueblo of Sin Fronteras. And what that means, first of all, is people without borders. And I think it's an important thing to note because what is that? It, it, it says it all in the name. They are looking for a world without borders. They find the idea of sovereignty and nationality to be some kind of weird sin. Now, they have a number of front groups actually based in the United States. And those front groups are where we think the money's coming from, but it's difficult to know exactly where the cash is coming from. I'll tell you where it's not coming from. It's not coming from Honduras, right? Uh, this, this, this operation is a multi-million dollar operation between the water, the food, the mobile hospitals, the chartering of buses. 
this thing, this thing, I estimated around ten million dollars to 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 ferry these people from Honduras to the U.S. border. So I can guarantee you one thing: this is not coming from Honduras. So there's definitely outside money at work here. We don't know where the money's coming from just yet. And you're saying really serious levels of cash here. I mean, $10 million is a lot of money no matter where you are. Uh, But but Ami— I know you have that laying around, Buck, but not me. Yeah, I wish I had that in the couch cushions. But uh, today uh, I'm seeing reporting that some of the caravans got into the border, and there's some reporting that a lot more caravans could be on the way, a bigger one in the future. What What can you tell us about all that? Well, the the caravan that reached there earlier is kind of almost, I, I, from what I understand, is is almost like a um, an intelligence operation. They're going there to kind of probe and see what the reaction is going to be before the larger group gets there. And and yeah, listen, there as many as much. My assumption is as much money as they can they can round up is as many they're going to send over to the U.S. Uh, this is not this is the beginning. This is not about. Listen, let's let's be honest. This is not about this one group reaching the border. It's not about that. This is about the idea of undermining our ability to police our own border. This is why Brexit occurred, right? Brexit occurred because England said, hey, we want control of our own borders, and we don't have it because we are beholden to the European Union. This is no different. Uh, they are looking to disrupt our borders, disrupt our sovereignty, disrupt our nationality, and they're going to do that as often as they can with as many people as they can because they want to upend this idea of nationality and of sovereignty. So it really is an, an internationalist, one-world government kind of project. Uh, I, I'm just wondering when you when you so where were you with the caravan and you know what can you just tell us about the day to day that you saw? So we were in uh, southern Oaxaca, uh, and that's um, the central southern part, really more of the southern part of Mexico. Uh, it's it's very very isolated. It's uh, it's actually an area that's riddled with with narco crime. Very very poor area. We also which brings another another one of the lies is that again all of the stuff that they have is kind of like mana from heaven. They're like oh my god you know all this water all this food these pallets of Gatorade it comes from the the air the, the the Mexicans living in the area. There's literally nothing there. There's nothing there but poverty. So it's 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 out of hand. It's 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 a ludicrous notion. And they, listen, also I want to make clear one thing. The people who are going to the U.S., I, I hold nothing against these people. If I were in their shoes, frankly, I'd do the same thing. If I had the extreme poverty and the, and the hard life that, I, that they have in Honduras, I want to get the hell out of there also. So I, don't, I hold them no, you know, I, I don't begrudge them for what they're trying to do. Um, now, there, is, there are elements in this group who are violent. There's no question about that. People, there are people we interviewed who were victims of violence. There was a trans group of people who were beat up repeatedly during the course of, of their travels. But um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an extraordinarily large group, and the, kind of the way they travel is uh, they, they rent, they charter these, I don't know, call them luxury buses, but there's a, those big tour buses that you rent. They, they charter dozens of them, and they kind of ferry them. They go back and forth ferrying them from the first from one location to the next location, usually roughly between 60 and 75 to maybe 100 miles in between each of the locations. When you get to their final resting spot at night, like they have like a campground, if you will, and they have these massive, massive sort of like circus tents, you'd call them, two or three of those where thousands of people can sleep under. And there's probably 30, 40, 50 little individual tents that families or individuals can, can, can sleep in as well. One thing I'll get, again, there, there's a lot of layers to this onion. The, the most significant layer of this onion, I think, is the, essentially the partnership that these groups have with the media. 
The media has essentially created one large lie after another when it comes to this caravan. The largest lie, if not one of the largest lies, in my, in my views, is the demographic makeup of who is in this caravan. So if you see you know, any image on CNN or on BBC or MSNBC or New York Times, the Washington Post, what do you see? You see families. Just every single shot you see is family. If you ask anybody, what percent of this group caravan is made up of families? Most people tell you, oh, 60, 70, 80% just because of what they see on mainstream media. It is the, it's not even the polar opposite. It's way more than the polar opposite because it's 90, 95% male. Male between, I would say, 17 and 40. Okay? And so it's, it's a bunch of men who are sitting around, a lot of guys playing soccer, and they're eating. They're very well fed, three meals a day. There's always, they're always hydrated, literally with pallets of, of these electrolytes, these, you know, kind of a, a bargain basement Gatorade, water. Um, so it's, it, it is a, it's akin to moving an army, moving a division of, of an army. That's kind of what it feels like when you're there. Is there any, do you get any sense that there are people that uh, are kind of in charge of message discipline here? I mean, are, you know, are there organizers who are talking to the press how, how are they presenting themselves to folks like you who are obviously, uh, uh, you know, there to figure out what's going on? Absolutely. This is, again, it's a highly organized affair. And Pueblos and Fronteras, there's, there, there are maybe 50 to 100, I think, of these people who are on the ground with them. They are absolutely keeping message discipline. First of all, whenever they see you speaking to a migrant, they will hover around you to see exactly what you're asking, what they're answering. They will try to interject and speak for them. And they also are spending time training the migrants on what to answer. And they said, on, on, if, you, if you watch the video, on camera, these guys are admitting to me that, yes, we are training them to speak to the press. There's no question about it because one of the things they want to do is they want to make sure these guys are, they're trying to game the system essentially, right? So the way to, for them to enter the U.S. is a very simple path. It's asking for asylum. Now, whether or not they get it isn't even the point because once you have said, I want asylum, we have to take you in to the U.S., we let you go until your court date comes up. But they're also training them. In Mexico City, they've had these massive, like, you know, you know migrant TED Talks where they have these huge um, screens with presentations. And in these presentations, and by the way, these presentations are run not only by Puebla and Fronteras, the U.N. is also very, very involved on the ground with, with helping organize and moving these guys from location A to location B. That's important to note, I think. But yeah, they're trained on exactly what to say, not only to the press, but what to say when they get to the U.S. to make sure they get a, the best case possible to qualify for asylum status here. It starts to sound a little bit like some of the things that I saw with the big Occupy Wall Street rallies, where it was all grassroots, except there were a lot of organizers and a lot of people showing up with all kinds of food and and you know a, a, an organized media effort and you know. It wasn't just people hanging out in a park somewhere. No, no, it, it's it's similar. Very, they want to make, listen. They always want to make it seem like it's grassroots. What that term, astroturf? That's that's essentially what it is. But on a much much larger scale than what we saw at um, at Occupy Wall Street, this is this actually seems very very similar to what we saw with the migrants from Syria. And actually, they were in the camps in in in, um, in uh, Syria in Turkey and sorry in Jordan. But very similar to, to that, the way the media is collaborating with these organizations is, is strikingly similar. I think it's also uh, important to note that, um, one of the, one of the, again, one of the main themes that the mainstream media is trying to get across 
is that why are they leaving Honduras? They're leaving Honduras because there's just it's it's everywhere you go is is a day, is a, is a day you could die. It's violence is everywhere. I'm not saying that Honduras is a safe place. It, it's clearly not. But South South Chicago is not safe either. But nobody there is looking for asylum in Canada. But the notion that they're leaving because of everyday violence is again one of the big lies they're trying to perpetrate on the American people. Couldn't be. Well, I won't say further. Couldn't be further from the truth. But it's not true. Uh, in the video, when I when I ask these people a simple question, why are you looking to leave Honduras? Why are you looking to come to America? All of their answers follow the same exact theme: job opportunity, education, better life for my family. That's it. Okay, that's what they told me. They would only mention violence after a Pueblos and Fronteras person would come up to them and whisper in their ear, and they say, "Oh yeah, by the way, I'm also suffering a lot of violence. We saw a lot of that." Uh, by the way, if it was if it was so dangerous and so violent there. Why are they not saying their, their children and their wives first? Why are the men going first and leaving their children and their wives back in Honduras to face death if that was the case? It's not. These people are not psychopaths. These people don't have they, have, they have empathy for their family. They love their family. They're looking for, this is nothing more than they want an opportunity for a better life. Again, don't get me wrong. I, I don't hold, I don't begrudge that for them. But the thing is, do we have a responsibility to take in every person on planet Earth who's looking for a better life? I, don't, I mean, it'd be the end of the U.S. if we did. There are billions of Ami, people. Ami, one more in the before we let you go and sure. tell everybody else about this this documentary you, you've put together. Uh, are, are you hearing there's going to be another bigger caravan? Did that come up? Uh, it didn't come up, except that uh, the organization made clear that there's going to be as many caravans as they could afford to to push across. So I would not be surprised if if that was the case. Not at all. The first of many. Where can people go to watch your documentary, Ami? They can go to my Facebook page, Ami Horowitz. They go to Ami Horowitz on YouTube or on Twitter, and uh, you can find it all there. Ami Horowitz. Great to talk to you, Ami. Thanks for coming by the hut, and we'll talk to you soon. Always a pleasure. Remember Betsy DeVos? She's the education secretary. She's a billionaire, a philanthropist. Seems like a nice lady. Of, Of course, she's for charter schools, so that means the left hates her with the uh, burning passion of a, a or fiery whatever of a thousand suns. Uh, th- they hate her for that reason. I'm sure a bunch of others that I can't even think of. But she's done something else that's going to get the left all upset. You see, because of much of the mythology, many of the lies that I've been told on the left for years about what is considered or called campus rape culture, which I would note is not a thing does not exist. There is no such thing as campus rape culture. It is a construct of the left. Nowhere are there college students gathered together in large numbers who go, yeah, let's go commit a felony sex crime and, you know, and become monsters who also will lose their freedoms and destroy their lives in the process. That's not a thing. It does not exist, even though the left will pretend. And I think I think CNN a while ago did a documentary series called The Hunting Ground about college campuses. Wow. Uh, So you have that. And then you've also had some prominent leftists in recent years say things like, well, you know, there's there's going to be some innocent people who get caught up in this whole thing. And, you know, that's kind of a shame for them. But, you know, ultimately, the most important thing is that white males are scared, uh, scared that they could get caught on the wrong side of this. And if, if that's the case, well, then Innocent people getting in trouble is a, is a small price to pay. I mean, that's really the way they feel. I mean, that, that is the left's perspective on a lot of this stuff. So anyway, you've got the, uh, the Washington Post reporting on the following, and this is going to get the left really upset. Education Secretary Betsy DeVos 
is going to release a sweeping overhaul of how colleges and universities must handle allegations of sexual assault and harassment, giving new rights to the accused, including the ability to cross-examine their accusers. The proposal is set for release before Thanksgiving, possibly this week, and replaces less formal guidance issued by the Obama administration. The new rules would reduce liabilities for universities, tighten the definition of sexual harassment, and allow schools to use a higher standard in evaluating claims of sexual harassment and assault. Wow, look at this. You mean that we're going to turn this back from where it, where, what it was made into during the Obama administration, which was really just an effort to get the left-wing base excited, to get the feminist left in a frothy rage about rape culture on campus, and, and then... To say, oh, no, don't worry, Obama's dealing with it. Obama's uh, handling this by essentially making it impossible to prove your innocence, including some of these cases. I mean, you had Kirsten Gillibrand, for example, invite Mattress Girl. I forget her name. Emma something or other. Mattress Girl uh, to a State of the Union address. Mattress Girl was a Columbia University student who carried her mattress around with her all over campus as a form of protest over what she says was a sexual assault, a sexual assault that when the NYPD investigated, including looking at text messages between her and her supposed assailant, who, by the way, she had had many consensual sexual encounters with, but just so happened that then there were some that she did that she didn't say were consensual. uh, The NYPD is like, we can't we can't prosecute. We can't even arrest there. There's no proof here there's nothing uh and and yet she became something of a, of a folk hero on the left because even if you're lying if it's about sexual assault and the target is a white male the left thinks that you're doing a service even if you're fabricating evidence or even if you're changing your story it raises awareness of the broader problem you see of sexual assault and so in that in that sense that they're they're fine with it they they, they don't see a problem with all of this. So, uh, you know, I, I think Betsy DeVos is going to get a, a whole lot of pushback, obviously, from, from the left. They're, they're going to freak out about this. But in the post-Kavanaugh era, I'm glad that there is finally some sanity that is being restored here. I'm, I'm glad that we are just beginning to see that people have had enough of the nonsense, all right? We don't want to be told anymore that the accused have no rights and that these kangaroo courts that operate in colleges when it comes to sexual assault are going to continue. So high five for the Department of Education. Good work, Betsy DeVos. Online security is essential. You're doing so much important stuff on your computer, on your smartphone all the time. And if you're out there using public Wi-Fi, you don't know who's looking at your stuff, right? There are hackers and Bad folks out there that want to access your information. Oh, by the way, some of those social media platforms and Internet browsers you use, they're also basically spying on you and sharing your information. ExpressVPN locks all that down, my friends, and keeps you secure online. It costs less than 7 bucks a month. ExpressVPN is so easy to use, and it is the number one virtual private network service by Tech Radar. okay? So you've got to check them out for yourself. ExpressVPN is the answer. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months at expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com. 
dot com slash buck for three months free with a one year package. Again, visit expressvpn.com slash buck to learn more. I believe the law hasn't been followed from the beginning. You know, the, those early votes, the last time they were cast was the Sunday before the election. Uh, by law, those were supposed to be downloaded and sent to the state at, by 7.30 p.m. on the night of the election. It's irregularity after irregularity. And as far as stealing is concerned, let me just make this one point on that. That's what election lawyers, the election lawyers are not coming to Florida to make sure every vote is counted. The reason why election lawyers get involved is to make sure as many votes as possible for their client is counted and as many votes as possible for their opponent is disqualified. And when you have an office, this in, an office, uh, an election office, this incompetent and, and this law breaking, it creates enormous opportunity for those sorts of arguments to be made. And suddenly the election's decided by a judge or by lawyers, not by voters the way they're supposed to be. Marco Rubio nails it here on Florida. I mean, he's completely correct. And yet there's this there was this effort to discredit him from the very beginning. Like, oh, how could Marco Rubio say such a thing? What do you mean? This Broward County office in particular that's handing the election with Brenda Snipes at the top, who, by the way, I think I saw earlier today, is not willing to rule out a possible political career beyond this. So to me, that says that she knows the Democrats are pretty happy with this whole situation. At a minimum, these irregularities leave open the possibility of a Senate seat uh, going for the Democrats that would not have otherwise and a a governorship. So, you know, they're perfectly happy with her. They're extending this thing out. They're adding she's she's adding time to the clock. And that may be all that's necessary. here. That may be all they need to do. Um, but back to back to Rubio's point, you know, there are all these irregularities and they're the very irregularities that you would need if you were trying to engage in fraud, if you were trying to cheat and do shady things here. So why is it at all strange for us to sit here and say, well, well, hold on a second. You know, that can't be the way that this goes. This this is unacceptable. This isn't. A situation where we can all sit around and say to ourselves, yeah, you know, so there's a little problem here, a little problem there. No, no big deal. Excuse me. They have yet to come up with any justification as to why they have not been able or were not able to finish this process in a timely fashion. And on top of that, when you look at these areas of discretion that are going to be open about overcounts and undercounts or overvotes and undervotes, rather. Uh, that just means that you're going to have people and they're going to be partisan lawyers who are showing up in this whole process and saying, well, I'm going to argue that that's for my side and I'm going to argue that that's not for the other side, which changes this whole process. This is supposed to be a neutral process. This is not supposed to be, oh, I'm going to try to advocate for my side through the process. The votes are cast. There are guidelines for how they are cast. The votes are counted. But what the Democrats are doing is uh, trying to confuse things by making it sound like Republicans say don't count all the votes. No Republican has on on record in public that I am aware of anywhere in the country said don't cast legally, uh, don't count rather legally cast ballots. I, I don't know of a single person who has done that. I don't know of one, not one. But they talk about it like that's going on all the time. Um, and, and they also talk about any election integrity measures, any rules and regulations that are in place as somehow uh, 
racist or an effort at voter suppression and all, all that all that kind of stuff. I mean, here's the Florida Attorney General Pam Bondi on what the law actually is in Florida, for example. Some interesting details here. Play four. Florida law expressly and unambiguously states that you must have signature verification. They want to change the law after the ballots have all been cast and go back retroactively and, and change our law, which is it's, it's ridiculous. And Bill Nelson just needs to take a deep breath and concede. Yes, Bill Nelson does need to take a deep breath and concede. But you know what? He's not he's not going to. Uh, I can assure you uh, he is absolutely not looking to help the process come to a conclusion that would allow the American people to feel confident that the results are the real results. Um, by the way, you know, the media coverage of this all has been fascinating. They, they focus so little on the irregularities and so much more on just this count every vote, count every vote as we played it yesterday. I mean, they're, they're part of the chorus here. They are adopting and have adopted the talking points of the left on this election because they understand that there's, a, there's at least a chance here Anything other than what they had the first night, which is their candidates losing, they think is a better thing. And that's where you get um, that's where you get into all of this partisanship dressed up as journalism. By the way, speaking of that, we'll talk more later on the show about this lawsuit from uh, from CNN saying that, uh, you know, you can't pull Acosta's hard pass. You're not allowed to do that, which I got to say is. You know, pretty, pretty remarkable. I mean, I, I may, maybe I'm, I've heard from some people that I actually respect that this lawsuit may go against the White House, which just shocks me. I, I that to me is just crazy. There's just no way. But it's really going to turn on whether or not this is arbitrary because they they have to be able to pull the hard pass of somebody who's a correspondent of the White House for unruly, for out of line behavior. But otherwise, the whole thing turns into a free for all. Right. So that has to happen. Then it's all going to be about, well, is there is there an objective standard you can apply here for basically is Acosta a jackass and is his jackassery? And the, the answer is yes. But is his jackassery so egregious that you could say it is not arbitrary to say, all right, jackass, no more of this for you. Uh, that's what this will really all turn on. Um, play Kip's, play, we, we wanted to give you a sense as to if, if we're going to look at this through the lens of whether or not it, it is an arbitrary decision for the White House to pull Acosta's credentials. Here's what uh, what he sounds like when he's using those credentials. Play seven. I'm not sure this press conference was ever on the rails. Uh, as you heard uh, numerous times during this news conference, the president was just not in touch with reality. The law could be different than border security, sir. Border security can no, mean actually, drones. I don't, it can Jim. mean agents. It could mean more fencing. It doesn't necessarily mean a physical And that's part of the negotiation the that we expect Congress to have. You, Jim, I'm not negotiating with you. I'm going to let Congress take care of that. 
what we're witnessing right now is just this erosion of our freedoms in terms of covering the president of the United States. Last three news conferences, Wolf, all of the questions to the American news media have, have been handled by conservative press. And I, I think, Wolf, there's no other way to describe it, but the fix is in. Jim, let me ask you a question. Hope to the world Jim, for people to say Jim, do you believe to this country? Jim, and they're not always going to speak Jim, English, Stephen. Jim, they're not do you believe going to be highly skilled? They're not always Jim, going Jim, to be Jim, Jim, I, I appreciate your speech. I think we saw the president's true colors today, and, and I'm not sure they were red, white, and blue. Yeah, there you go. There's your objective White House correspondent for CNN mouthing off all the time and and getting aggressive with. Uh, various members of the White House staff. I, I just got to say, I, I'm fine with the the questions being, uh, I want to say fine. I, I don't think you can pull his creds for annoying questions, obviously, right? But when you are refusing to respect basic decorum, when the president says, next question, and you keep yelling, and you won't give up your microphone, that's really almost like a civil disobedience act. You know, that, that's Alinskyite in its approach to getting your name and your face and your point of view out there, which is to just gum up the works. It reminds me of the old Alinsky idea that if you really want to mess up a, uh, a facility, a government facility or something, just have people sit in all the bathroom stalls all day and then see what happens. What are you going to do, tell people they can't take all day in the bathroom? I mean, you know, th this is the kind of stuff that the activist left will pull. And they'll say, we're not doing anything. You know, it's really... It's really concerted passive aggressivism. And with Acosta, you have passive aggressive garbage going on all the time. Anyway, this guy, I, part of me really doesn't want to discuss this situation because it just he's just now way more famous. I mean, this guy is this guy could be doing local news in, you know, Tuscaloosa or something. I mean, this guy is not somebody who has any no offense to Tuscaloosa. It's great stuff going on there. Uh, but this guy is just some rando. And yet now, because of his hashtag resistance theater, he's uh, he's a millionaire and he's famous. So I don't know. Maybe he knows something the rest of us don't. But at least the rest of us aren't a bunch of ass clowns. That's important. Team, by now you've probably heard me talk about Snippy.com, a new social media site. If you looked at Snippy.com and left, look again. Thousands of my listeners have joined Snippy.com, expressing their opinions and stirring up lively conversations. Snippy is an unbiased social media platform that's all about conversation and community. Snippy not only encourages freedom of expression, but guarantees its users the ability to discuss topics freely without suppression from administrators. Look, I just posted on Snippy earlier this week, and let me tell you, it's fun to see how much interaction I'm getting there and how much people are really appreciating that there's no nonsense from administrators. Snippy is a place where everyone's free to express their thoughts and share their opinions. It's totally free to join open to everyone to so join us at snippy.com and let your opinion matter. No shadow banning and no suppression of conservative thought ever. Now with an updated user interface and exciting new features also available in the Apple app store and available for Android snippy, your new alternative social media. Hey, this is Hillary Clinton coming to you on a very important day. Last Tuesday on election day, you voted, you got your sticker, you posted it on Instagram and you felt great about doing your civic duty. But today is National Run for Office Day. And I'm here to ask you to think about running for office. There is no better way to make an impact 
Be the voice for your neighbors, your family, your kids, even your dog or your cat. And take it from me, it's not always easy, but it's always worth it. What the heck does that mean? Producer Mike, did she just say be the voice for your dogs and your cats? She sure did. <laughs> How does one be the voice? I mean, I love dogs. Cats are okay. How is one the voice for one's dogs or cats? I'm just wondering what... what what do you think Hillary? Hello. What was she going for there? <laughs> I don't know. They're trying to get, you know, illegals and felons to vote. Maybe she's angling to get animals to vote now. Be the voice for your dogs. And- I mean, <laughs> I, you know, is that I want to start a conspiracy theory yeah. that when Hillary, you know, when she says the dogs and cats like that's a, a sign to her little bot believers that, uh, <laughs> you know, the eagle has landed. Quack, quack, you know, that, that, yeah. that it's I guess that's more like a parrot than an eagle, but it's Hillary nonetheless. She's still there's all the only reason she's still out there is because he's running everybody. Okay, can we just can we just stop the nonsense? Can we stop pretending that that is not what is going to happen here? It's very clearly what's going to happen. And and just for a little little trip down memory lane, um, because you know there's a a Monica Lewinsky documentary coming out on A and E. So if we're talking about the Clintons, we could talk about what it was like back in the day. Ah, oh, yes, those those glorious times when. The Oval Office had an occupant who you could trust and you knew was ethical and decent and and fit for the role of commander in chief. I like ladies and I like to grab ladies. That guy. Monica Lewinsky spoke about this for the Annie documentary. And, you know, it, it's it's an important reminder that I mean, this guy really took advantage of this young girl. I mean, this was, I know she was of age. She was in her early 20s, but he's the president of the United States. He's a leader of the free world. Never mind the fact he's also married and has a kid. And he uses that power dynamic in order to uh, prey upon somebody who is an employee, by the way. I mean, as a White House intern, I mean, a White House intern, folks. Oof. And no wonder no one takes the left seriously on their moral scolding. Play clip nine. I just, I felt terrible. I was scared and I just, I was mortified and afraid of what this was gonna do to my family. And, you know, I still was in love with Bill at the time. Um, So I just, I felt really responsible. He destroyed this woman's life. That often gets left out of here. I mean, the late night comics made it all a ha-ha, oh, Bill Clinton, oh, just Bill being Bill. He destroyed her life. And Hillary was the henchman helping in all this. You know, they always cover up that part. Hillary was an, a tremendous enabler of all the worst stuff that Bill Clinton was doing, all the worst stuff that he was up to when he was in the White House and before then. You know, she was out there trashing women that were coming forward with allegations that were true. We're not talking about like Kavanaugh 36 years ago, BS allegations with no proof. We're talking about this happened last week and here's the dress. Check the DNA. Sorry, but that's what happened. And you know, Lewinsky is finally now, I think because the left is trying to come to terms with this, they're willing to accept her. And they're not coming to terms with it because of the moral implications. They just know that they have to kind of purge this from the system 
Because otherwise, especially if they think that there's going to be a Clinton dynasty, maybe it's Chelsea. But they have to deal with this so that it can't be used again to uh, offset the Clintons, uh, you know, to offset the the Clinton approach to politics. Um, but there, there was real, there was a real human toll here in all of this. There was real damage done, and that's why finally, it's interesting to see that the left has to come to grips with it at, at some level. Although, as I said, I think this is really in their interest. I think this is a function of they, um, they really know that this is a liability. It's a political liability. So now Monica can be portrayed as a sympathetic figure, whereas before, you know, they would make jokes about her. And I mean, it was just all ha ha Bill Clinton. Oh, it's just his sex life. Oh, back off the whole thing. This is while he's president, by the way. People compare some of the Trump stuff to the Bill Clinton stuff. And I would say, hold on a second. Bill Clinton was doing this stuff while he was president in the Oval Office. That is different from anything that that Trump has even alleged to have done. And there's, you know, there's nobody who's, they always say, oh, Trump sexual assault. They they use sexual assault in the broadest sense to mean, oh, he tried to kiss a woman or, oh, he tried to grab at a woman, which, you know, if she doesn't want you to, it's not okay. Bill Clinton is accused of holding somebody down and, 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 and raping her. And Bill Clinton is accused, credibly, on the record by a woman, by a named woman, of raping her. And journalists who have interviewed her have finally come out and said, yeah, yeah she's, she's credible. And that, now this is when we finally get the, uh, the oh, let's, let's take a look at what really happened here and let's see. Please. Yeah, this, is, this is the whole thing. I mean, the left is a moral abomination. That's, that's really the truth in general. They pretend, and the sick thing is, they pretend to be the ones who care so much about the poor and to care so much about minorities and to care so much about the downtrodden. In reality, the left is amoral at best and immoral on many issues. It's just about the pursuit of power for what is a, a worldview dominated by a collectivist ethic, a collectivist mindset. Oh, by the way, if we're going to talk about coming to terms with this and finally getting past what happened there by going through, uh, having some form of, of psychological reconciliation for the, for the Democrat Party, uh, here is Bill Clinton during an interview in June on this whole Lewinsky situation. Play 10. But you didn't apologize to her, at least according to, to folks that we've talked to. There was never a, an apology. Made. I have not talked to her. Do you I, feel I like you owe it, her an apology? No. Doesn't owe her an apology. It's a scummy guy. Still celebrated by Democrats. They'll still talk about him like he's some great political mind. By the way, you want to talk about votes and sketchy things happening. Guy, guy didn't get 50% of the vote the first time around to make him president. Couldn't even get half the country to vote for him. But, oh, yes, he's such a great, a great, and a brilliant mind. Brilliant mind how? Why? I mean, quite honestly, the guy just is a talented raconteur and BS artist. Brilliant mind. Man, it's amazing what people, you know, when they're force-fed it enough, they'll believe. We also will never give in, as Senator Cardin said, we'll never give in on voting rights. Uh, We have seen what, if Stacey Abrams doesn't win in Georgia, they stole it. It's clear. It's clear. And I would say, say that publicly, it's clear. There you have Sherrod Brown speaking in Georgia and doing something that I thought was 
undermining democracy. I thought you weren't allowed to do this. Oh my gosh. You're not allowed to hurt the integrity of elections by making accusations. By the way, he's not even just making general accusations. He is straight up saying if Stacey Abrams doesn't win the uh, Georgia gubernatorial race, the Republicans cheated. This is straight up sore loserism. This is straight up somebody who doesn't care, um, doesn't care what the heck is really going on on the ground. He's just, you know, Sherrod Brown from Ohio here is being a demagogue and saying stuff that's a disgrace. But his whole his whole speech that he gave here, this is just uh, earlier today where he's talking about what's going on in Georgia and 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 essentially what his version of the Republicans stealing an election is like. You got to hear the rest of this. What they're trying to do in Florida to the gubernatorial candidate and to the Senate candidate running for re-election. What they tried to do in Ohio with some success by voter purging. What they did in Georgia when they shut down rural precincts that were predominantly African Americans where many people simply don't have transportation to get to the polls. That's what they do. They can't win elections because there's way more of us than there are them. So many falsehoods from Sherrod Brown here. So many lies, mistruths, half-truths. This whole notion of a stolen election because you don't like the laws that are in place is doing violence to the notion of a stolen election. If the laws are obeyed, the election is not stolen. If you don't think that access for minority and rural communities is perfect, That doesn't mean that Republicans stole the election. This notion also that there are automatically more of them than us. Democrats love this. They always think there's more of them than us. Whenever they lose an election, it's never because they just don't have good ideas. The American people just don't want them to be in charge. There's always some procedural problem. There's always cheating from the other side. These people are babies. The left is a bunch of babies when it comes to elections. They just are. He goes on. They can't win elections fairly. They win elections by redistricting and reapportionment and voter suppression in all the ways they try to scare people, particularly people of color, how they make it hard for people in college campuses, especially community college where there are more low-income people and more people of color. We know those despicable laws are often aimed that way. And we must make sure, obviously, that every vote's counted in Georgia and Florida and yeah, 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 of course. Back to the back to the talking points here about, oh, we just want all the votes to be counted. And then back to the, the favorite argument ender that Democrats are ever able to offer up, which is that they they really do believe that they are the ones who are not racist and that Republicans are racist. That's what it, that's what it all comes down to. All these arguments over Florida and over voting and voting rights and all this. They just think on the one side, you got the good guys. And on the other side, you got the bad guys. And the bad guys are the Republicans who are just, oh, so racist. Always so racist. I'm just wondering when they take note of the fact that the Republicans in Florida got 30% of the Hispanic vote. But, but I guess it's just all racism. It's all racism on the Republican side. When are we allowed to talk about what is very clear in the Democrat Party, by the way, which is an open animosity toward white males as a group, 
There is this thing. Anytime you want to say something and get applause from a bunch of left-wing morons, all you have to do is say, oh, look at that room full of white males. Is that, okay, there happen to be white people and there's a room of them. Why is that bad? You can make any disparaging remark you want, if you're a lefty, about white males. You, you can make any jokes you want about white males, and not only do people let it slide, they think it's great. They think you're clever. They think you've really added something interesting to the debate or to discourse or whatever it is. They love to just pound white males whenever they get a chance. And th this is really political analysis for idiots, which is what you see more and more on the left. And they wonder why there are some people who say, hold on a second, maybe the really, de maybe the really destructive thing in our politics right now is not Trump. What if, I know, stay with me here for a second, what if the reason why people in this country over politics more than in any time in recent memory, perhaps in 50 years, are at each other's throats? What if the reason is the very identity politics and left-wing intersectionality that progressives push at every opportunity, celebrate at every turn? What if that's what's really exacerbating the divides in this country. Is it just possible that, that if we're going to have this conversation about irresponsible rhetoric, which they, they always want to put on the president, right? Oh, it's the president. Maybe it's irresponsible for the left. And I know the left is run by predominantly white males still, although you have Nancy Pelosi and about to be Speaker of the House, but a lot of very prominent white males on the left too. But they're just espousing the ideology. It doesn't matter they're white males. There is an anti-white male bias, an anti-white male animosity that is one of the defining characteristics of the American left now. You know, this is why when they talk about the patriarchy, they're not talking about men of color. They're talking about white males. When they're talking about white privilege, they're obviously talking about white males. All these things. I mean, they throw around the term white supremacy now for any government policy that they think has a disproportionate impact on minorities that is negative, or even when people try to push back against the racial entitlement state that has been created by the left, where you get racial benefits like affirmative action and special hiring, et cetera, et cetera. Even that now, that effort to have the law be race neutral or colorblind, that is considered white supremacy by the left now. It is hard to keep up with these people and the changing terminology that they utilize. But Sherrod Brown there gave you a real sense of what the whole line is, which is that elections that the left loses are inherently illegitimate, that even when the laws are adhered to, the laws themselves are illegitimate. And this is when they'll say an election is stolen because of voter suppression, even if the, quote, voter suppression resulted from entirely legal means. Even if the voter suppression was lawful in the sense that it was just things like voter ID or we're not going to operate a polling place in that place, you got to go to this other place. But Democrats rely on the mob, as you know. They rely on rabble-rousing as a central theme. This is what they, they call it community organizing. You know, you call it rabble-rousing. Uh, and the Democrat belief is that 
whomever they can get to cast a vote for their cause is somebody that should be brought into the fold, should be, should be voting. They don't make any distinctions here. They don't make any distinctions about whether or not somebody is a citizen. They don't care about that. If they had their way, they would change the law such that you would have non-citizens voting. I'm sure of that. And I really wish that question would get asked of some prominent Democrats because they wouldn't, I can tell you this, they wouldn't even want to be on the record opposing non-citizens voting. So they would give you some kind of mealy mouth, well, on the one hand, on the other, blah, 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 blah. I mean, they wouldn't want to answer that question, I assure you. So maybe that's something that I'll try to get and, uh, and push to some uh, Democrats that I know. Maybe that would, be, that would be a very interesting thing, I think, to be able to um, get them on the record. If only the American people could really know the extent to which Democrats don't care about the laws, not just when it comes to immigration, but I think also when it comes to laws that govern elections. It really just does not matter to them. They, they, they do not have much of an interest at all in adhering to election laws because they view their cause, progressivism, the transformation of America, as so righteous, and the rules that are in place as just being put, put there by the white male patriarchy, that there's no need to adhere to any of that. That they would be, they'd be suckers to adhere to that. That's how they really feel. I just wish the American people would know that. And then we could try to tune out all this. Oh, just count the votes. That's not what they want to do. Our focus has put a knife through the heart of that argument. You won't see the Republicans doing that very much anymore. What it did do, what they did do, is explode the deficit. As a result, people saw it as selfish narrowly focused, dangerous, and irresponsible. And so, with the Senate map wildly tilted in Republicans' favor, we're at worst, only one seat worse off than we were when we stood here two years ago. And if Bill Nelson wins, which I believe he has a very good chance of doing, we'll be even. Oh, Chuck Schumer. My gosh. I can't believe we got to just keep hearing from this guy forever. He's gross, so duplicitous, so full of crap. A few things here. First of all, whatever Democrats complain about Republicans and the deficit, just remember that Barack Obama, of our $22 trillion in debt, Barack Obama's responsible for about $10 trillion of that. And remember, the debt is something that's been accumulating over many, many, many decades. Barack Obama is responsible for almost half, almost half of our massive national debt. So Democrats lecturing anybody on this is is just laughable. It's just completely and utterly ridiculous. It, It is, in fact, preposterous. And we should all be clear on that. Now. As to his point about the Senate, this is concerning. Election night seemed like it was better for Republicans uh, on the night than it turned out to be. The fact that Cinema, who is a pretty bizarro candidate in many ways, uh, someone who has said incredibly stupid things publicly in the past, including about how an American going to join the Taliban is no big deal and lots of stuff like that. 
But Cinema is is now the senator from Arizona. Although I heard today, I don't know if this is going to happen or if it has happened when I go to air, that they're going to replace the um, McCain seat. That they're going to put uh, McSally in that seat until there until there's actually a, a special election. So McSally may actually be the senator from. Arizona. That's what I heard today uh, from some sources. I'm not sure if that's broken yet as a story, but I was hearing that in the newsroom. So McSally may be the senator from Arizona anyway. That all said, Democrats managed to hold on pretty well in the Senate, despite the fact that, oh, as Chuck Schumer says, I love this, a, a map tilted toward Republicans. The states are what the states are. Every state has two senators. He just means that this time around, it was... It just happened to be pretty favorable in terms of the states that Republicans were able to uh, try to win. But there was no, you know, chicanery here. There was no malfeasance. Well, what he's doing there is he's playing in. Chuck Schumer is trying to play into that suggestion of, oh, no, there's gerrymandering. Because I love it when liberal journos all of a sudden, oh, they're gerrymandering the states. You know, with the Senate, the Senate elections were gerrymandered. No, I'm pretty sure there's only two senators per state. So there's no gerrymandering. It's just who lives in that state. But who cares about the facts when there's a narrative to run around with? Who cares about any of that? Uh, but this is just another another moment where we got to take a step back and realize that um, we are, if there's a Supreme Court vacancy over... Well, who knows who it will be. But if there is a Supreme Court vacancy that opens up in the next two years, which is possible, I don't think it's a certainty by any stretch, but it's definitely possible, you're going to have a fight over Amy Coney Barrett that is similar in ferocity to what you saw over Kavanaugh because there are going to be a few, there are going to be a few um, female Republican senators. You know, Collins comes to mind who might not be willing to vote for Amy Coney Barrett. This is just going to turn into a, a pure uh, debate over abortion. It's, it's going to be ugly. It's going to be nasty. People don't want to be told that they've been advocates for murder for going on now, what, 40-some-odd years? They don't want to be told that, even if that's what they've been. They do not want to be told that they have been advocating for the genocide of the unborn, that they've been using taxpayer dollars to do it, and that the left-wing Democrat Party of America is defined now more by its solidarity over abortion than any other issue, and therefore the very foundation of the Democratic Party is immoral and evil. They don't want a court to reinforce that notion. They don't want a court to come along and say, you know what, that's actually true. You guys have been advocating for something that is horrific, that is immoral, that is that is disgraceful. Uh, so you can imagine how ugly things are going to get when there is that, assuming there is before the election, another Supreme Court seat that opens up and, and that the left is going to, they're going to pull out all the stops and do everything that they possibly can on that. But also, 2020 is going to be viewed as a chance by the left to not just win the presidency, but to flip the Senate as well. And that means that we need to be prepared for a possibility of assuming that they're able to defeat Trump, which I don't think they can. But Democrats aren't just looking to get Trump out. They're looking to have 
unified, Democrat-controlled government once again, like they did for the first two years of Obama. What they see at the end of this, this political war, this political trench warfare that's just beginning to just beginning to show its, its earliest stages right now, but what they see down the line, I think, is unified you know, Democrat control of the House, the Senate, and the White House. And if they get it, my friends, they will pass amnesty. They will pass single payer or something closer to it. Maybe they won't get all the way, but they'll move as close to single payer. So after all this, to get to this point with Trump and the Trump movement, we face political calamity in 2020 already. Make no mistake about it. Be aware of it. And Chuck Schumer knows it. You know what's not smart? Posting randomly on the internet and hoping when you've got a job opening that you're going to get the best applicants. But you know what is smart? Go into ZipRecruiter.com slash buck to hire the right person. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes and identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job. And it actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over a thousand reviews. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. I I have used ZipRecruiter. I've used my own account there to hire great people for the hill where I work, where I've got my TV show. Try it for yourself. You'll see some of my favorite people came to us via ZipRecruiter. Go to ZipRecruiter.com dot com slash buck because it's the smartest way to hire let me walk you through the timeline so today we're, we're in the filing going through the paperwork the, the case will get assigned to a judge we've asked for an immediate hearing either today if we can do it we gave the white house notice this morning um, mm-hmm. or as soon as possible tomorrow to get a temporary order that would would immediately restore mr acosta's credentials mm-hmm. then the way the process works uh, there's a, a, a it has to be within 25 days a hearing on what's called a preliminary injunction which is another temporary but longer order and if, at that point if, if we prevail and the White House is still fighting it then you go on to a trial on the merits and a hearing on the merits so that can unfold over a period of months um, or, or even longer but that's why we need immediate relief because as you know every, news is happening every second every minute yeah. in the White House you never know what's mm-hmm. going to happen and every day that a reporter can't be there covering the news they're injured mm-hmm. and, and the public's deprived of important information. The public isn't deprived of anything other than a bunch of jackassery because Jim Acosta does not have the privilege. And it is a privilege of a hard pass to the White House, meaning that he can get into the White House any day he wants with the rest of the press pool, come and go as he pleases. So that was CNN's lawyer here. CNN has filed a lawsuit, as I mentioned to you yesterday, where they are claiming that there is you know, harm done to the First Amendment and to Jim Acosta's career and all the rest of it because he does not have, on a temporary basis at least now, it's been temporarily taken from him, he does not have a so-called hard pass anymore for the White House. Now, what, what I would note about all of this is, first of all, they are pretending that this is something that you just get to have as a journalist and that if you don't have this, you're irreparably harmed. I don't get a hard pass. I'd love a hard pass. I'd go to the White House every day if I could, but I don't have the connections for whatever reason. 
I do not manage to uh, qualify via my job at the Hill. I don't think it would work on radio, but at the Hill we do reporting and have reporters out on Capitol Hill and uh, and covering all things going on in the world of politics. And I, I don't get a hard pass. So is my First Amendment infringed, folks? And if not everybody gets one, and there are a lot of news organizations who don't, are all of their First Amendment rights infringed by the government? You know, there is some degree of discretion here. You do not have a right to be given access to the White House press pool. In fact, the president does not have any constitutional or legal duty to give press conferences at all, period. This is where the left starts to do their whole, oh, it's about a substantive right, which is a fancy way usually of saying the right gives me things that I want that I can pretend fall under the right. Uh, you have a substantive right because of you know the right to uh, you know, the pursuit of happiness or whatever. You've got a substantive right to free housing. You've got a substantive right, apparently, to have the White House invite you in if you're Jim Acosta. I mean, th- this whole thing is ridiculous, but... You know, I, I got to say, I'm surprised at some level to see that uh, Fox News has joined, along with many other news organizations. That does not surprise me, but but Fox News has officially joined an amicus brief here, and they're standing in solidarity with Jim Acosta and CNN on this one, at least at a corporate level. I, I, I'm surprised by that. Maybe there's something here that I'm missing. Maybe there's some aspect of this that uh, I'm not aware of. But from a pure First Amendment jurisprudence perspective, I don't understand how this is even a thing. I don't understand how this is even a case. There are, I think, 50 other CNN journalists and reporters who do have a hard pass into the White House. And there are dozens and dozens of other news organizations that are there that have free and unfettered access. This is about punishing one individual for unruly behavior and for hijacking, essentially, some of these uh, some of these press events and trying to get them to stop. And they think that there's a First Amendment issue here. I mean, I, I got to say, there's there's a really good piece uh, in in the Federalist today uh, that, you know, and, and it's it's sarcasm. Right. I mean, this is this is just making the case by going in the opposite direction. Here's here's a. Uh, Here's an example of it. Um, This is by Neil Pollack. The piece is, Act now to save the free press before it's really, truly, desperately too late. Uh, Whether you cover the White House, Big Pharma, or the local water board, it's time to hide your belongings and kiss your children. For the gulag surely awaits unless we act now. This is Neil, Neil Pollack here. He writes, quote, It's long been said, especially by me, that I'm the leading advocate and protector of the freedom of the press in this country. I've covered every president since William Howard Taft, though admittedly I haven't left my house on Mount Winchester since 2003 because that's where they deliver the plasma. And I can say with 100% certainty that the fourth estate is under assault in America like it's never been before. Whether you cover the White House, Big Pharma, or the local water board, it's time to hide your belongings and kiss your children for the gulag surely awaits unless we act now. Um, He's just making fun of this whole thing. Uh, you know, he says, look around you. We live in a society where citizens, whether employed by press outlets or not, don't have a right to speak their mind at all times on multiple platforms to as large an audience they could possibly muster. Our every utterance is being monitored. 
People disappear constantly because they have the courage to criticize the government. Soon nothing will remain but coal-working yes-men in MAGA hats while the rest of us try to work up a sweat in the re-education camps. Journalists and journalistesses, fellow loins of the press, rally around my gambit. We cannot let Trump wave the sword of Hercules over our heads. It's time to raise up and take a, sa- uh, take a stand. Uh, what he's saying here is what a joke. What a joke these press First Amendment martyrs really are. Okay, the entirety of the press corps hates Donald Trump with the exception of about 15 or 20 percent of it in total. I mean, the press is completely arrayed against this guy. They pretty much openly despise him. They can't think of enough ways to say that they hate him. Not a single journalist, unlike in the Obama years, has been prosecuted for doing his job in this country or had any adverse government reaction taken against him in the course of his normal First Amendment protected uh, duties, line of work. But we're supposed to believe that Trump is such a threat to the press. Criticizing the press is not the same as being a First Amendment threat to the press. And this is where you see the journos are really a very thin-skinned, whiny bunch of crybabies, and especially the TV journos are really overpaid and incredibly self-indulgent. They believe this crap, that they're the guardians of the republic, and without them, what? Without them, we wouldn't be able to instantaneously share information and uh, gather news in the hundreds, the thousands of different local news bureaus across the country. We really need the left-wing cable news networks to be weighing in or else we'll all just be lost. Oh my gosh, what will we do? The patriarchy. Oh, the humanity. It's terrible. I just think this Acosta thing, it's so old. Hey, look, he's he's like the Trumpy bear of journalists in that it's all marketing, baby. It's all promotion. And he knows that. He knows that what he's doing here is establishing himself forever as a hero to the hashtag resistance, that he's making a mockery of journalism in general and more specifically of CNN's claims to being an objective source of news. He doesn't care about any of that. All that matters to him is this gives him an opportunity to build his brand and that CNN's filed this lawsuit. Look, maybe, I mean, they've got Ted Olson, who's a Supreme Court uh, solicitor. I mean, he's a guy who's dealt with very big cases before he signed on for this. Maybe they're going to make some big First Amendment issue with this. But all I can tell you is that if if it's a First Amendment issue for Acosta to have his press pass taken away, then I better file a lawsuit because I've never been given a White House hard pass. And lots and lots of my colleagues who are much smarter, much more uh, diligent and much more objective in their reportage than Jim Acosta have never been given a hard pass. So I think this is something that we we really need to keep an eye on, because if this is just yet again the hashtag judiciary getting back at Trump, that does violence the First Amendment, because then the First Amendment just starts to mean whatever the anti-Trump folks say it means. And that in and of itself, I, I think, is really problematic. I think that leads us down a very uh, dangerous path, because, you know, the same thing will not be extended to a Democrat president. Just look at Obama. Stuff that he got away with. The worst president when it comes to press freedom in a hundred years. And the press was just constantly giving him a back rub on national TV.
Every day starts the same way, team, for the Buckman Black Rifle Coffee. I drink just black. I think it's delicious, and I drink it black. I don't need any coffee. I certainly don't need any coffee that has lots of creamer in it, right? I want Black Rifle Coffee. I want the best coffee you can get anywhere, and I'm not putting soy milk in it. I'm drinking it as it is, as nature intended. Drink coffee from a company that is all about freedom and America. Black Rifle Coffee is roast to order, guaranteeing you fresh, delicious coffee with every order. They send it right to you. And by the way, they give a portion of your sales to veteran and first responder causes. Nothing cures a bad attitude quite like starting your day with the most American coffee ever, Black Rifle Coffee. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck and receive 15% off your order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. Again, BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. What do I mean when I say that the left is crazy? Am I just exaggerating for effect? Am I just frustrated with their policies? You'll hear me say this sometimes. The left is crazy. Some of you may take from that that I'm just finding a term of disparagement for bad ideas that they have or that I just disagree so so strenuously from their position on something that I'm just calling them crazy because how can they, only a crazy person could not see it my way. No, in fact, I actually mean they're, they're wacko. There's something wrong with them. They, they have a problem. Uh, that the left-wing ideology that is ascendant in this country among Democrats and has been for a long time has brought people to abandon common sense, to become little automatons that spew talking points and support ideas that no normal, rational, reasonable person ever could. Let me give you some examples of this. Uh, this from... The, uh, the Federalist, a piece by Joy Pullman, where a school in Florida, we're talking about Florida a lot these days, but this is a very different kind of story. A school in Florida has punished a teacher because of a transgender student policy that went into effect that no parents were told about, that not even the students were told about. Let me give you some of the details here. A transgender female at a Florida school district, the Pasco County School District, had declared herself to be transgender, and the school district gave her unrestricted access to the boys' locker room. I guess we're supposed to call her a him, although I challenge the activists on this one. How do we know a her that is transitioning doesn't want one of the other terms that the left sometimes uses? I, I don't want to be gender normative in my in my description if that's what's not called for here. Is it a Z? Does she prefer them, a plural pronoun, even though it's a single individual? What level of insanity do I have to comport with here in order to avoid giving offense? I'm just wondering. You know, I'm, I'm just asking questions. So this young woman was led into the boys' locker room The boys figured this out when somebody who was obviously physically female was changing next to them, and they were changing as well. Okay, so that's a thing that's that's happening here. And there was a gag order put in place by school administrators 
that forbade teachers from even talking about this. So no one's allowed in this school under pain of suspension or termination, I'm sure. No one's allowed to say, hey, there's a girl in the boys' locker room now. The reason for this is that they don't think that it's really a girl in the boys' locker room, I guess. It's just another boy in the boys' room. But she's got female genitalia and is biologically female. She's a young, she's a young girl. I, I, they don't give the ages here exactly, but I think we're talking about, you know, probably either early in high school or maybe even junior high based on the way they write this piece. But then that's not, that's not enough. So you've got these boys who now are changing with a girl, which I could, by the way, you know, there's a lot of people are going through a lot of changes, especially early on in high school. There could be some embarrassment about things with the body and everything else, you know. I guess the left now embraces this idea that boys and girls should just have the same locker room. Why not? I want to know why they think that shouldn't be the case because they certainly think it's the case here. But that's not even enough. That's not even something that uh, we need to, you know, we, we can say that this is all we're focusing on here because there's also a male PE teacher, a male physical education teacher, who refused to observe this very young, right? This this would be somebody who is, uh, you know, clearly below 18. This is a minor. Would not observe this naked female minor as part of his duties. And he's a bad guy, according to the school for this. He was removed from his job and transferred for another to another school as discipline, for, quote, not doing his job in the locker room. This is the kind of stuff I mean when I say that the left has lost its mind. This is the kind of policy decision that, I'm sorry, they're just wrong, and this is not okay. It's embarrassing to those young boys who are are getting completely undressed in front of a biological female. A female! A female, it's a young girl! And even worse, they expect a male adult to be comfortable observing an underage female in the locker room just because she happens to believe that she is, in fact, male. I'm sorry, but, you know, if I were this PE teacher, I coached high school soccer. All right, I just take this from the eye perspective. If my high school, and heaven forbid, because I don't think they've gone this far left, Jesuits run it, although you never know with the Jesuits. If, if when I was coaching high school soccer, I was told that, that I had to be in the locker room while there were, you know, while my team was changing. I mean, you know, obviously we would change the locker room. That's fine. If I was told that I had to be observing as part of my job in the locker room and there was a 15 or 16 year old or 14 or 13 year old girl who was also changing in there. That would make me very, I mean, I, I would refuse to observe. That would make me very uncomfortable. I don't want somebody, you know, what happens if the school changes the policy and now you're the guy who's been observing the girl who is a young teenager undressing in a locker room. Now, I understand that you're not there. Obviously, the PE teacher is not supposed to be gawking at anybody as they're dressed. But, you know, you're seeing, you're in a locker room. You're seeing stuff. That's why we sex segregate the locker rooms. But this is a perfect example of the left has gone insane. The left no longer adheres to any norms of rational discourse on issues like gender 
uh, gender identity. You know, this all came about, by the way, with the Obama administration. Up until the Obama administration, the left had never really been able to get its way on this radical gender identity stuff. You know, Obama was a far leftist. You know, he just had the degrees and the the general uh, approach of a of an elitist politician. But he was a far left guy. I mean, ideologically, he was the most left wing senator in the Senate when he ran for the presidency. And he pushed very hard on this issue. I will never forget when I believe it was South Carolina was told by the White House, by the Obama administration, you either implement our, our preferred transgender rights policies in your school or we are going to cut off federal funds for your school. And that, they, were, they were pulling out all the stops to make sure that girls could use boys' bathrooms and lockers and vice versa. This is something the left is really focused on, by the way. They think it's really important. I think they're really crazy. If you're patchy and impatient, you may be suffering from acute scruffatosis, also known as baby beard. Every year, millions of men suffer through the slow-growing patchy facial hair known as scruffatosis, but you don't have to. Hi, I'm Chris. Here at the Beard Club Institute, we are dedicated to curing baby beard. That's why we've developed these growth oils, and supplements. They're carefully designed to help men like you achieve the full luscious beard of your dreams. Should I grow a beard? A lot of you are like, should we care? The answer is probably no. But I was thinking about it today. I was thinking about it today because of this. A, a study that uh, Fox 8 Cleveland cited here. Way better than Fox 8 Columbus. Uh, here's what they say here in the Journal of Evolutionary Biology. Researchers asked more than 8,500 women to rate men based on their attractiveness as a long-term romantic partner. Here's how the facial hair rated. Number one, heavy stubble, 10 days. Two, full beards. Three, light stubble. Four, clean shaven. Quote, beards may be more attractive to women when considering the long-term than short-term relationships as they indicate a male's ability to compete uh, successfully with other males for resources, according to the study. Beards, the researcher, researcher said, are associated with a man's age and masculine social dominance. A lot of you, fo- a lot of you fellas out there with your very manly beards... Right now, I know what's going on. You are shaking your head saying, yes, indeed, Buck. We have long known about the awesomeness of a beard. And there's clearly a pro-beard movement growing in this country among the ladies out there. Now, do I have to ask Miss Molly if she would like a beard on me? I think the answer is most definitely yes. I don't think I can just go all wild and woolly on my face and assume that that's a good move for me and that everything's going to be okay. I, I think that I've got to think this one through a little bit. The other alternative, however, to going with a beard would be to go with a Magnum PI style mustache. Now, can I technically grow either of these things? Is it really even possible for me? I have... Almost 1,400 votes as I go on air right now with a Twitter, uh, with a, a Twitter poll here. 
And 39% of those polled, when I asked the question, should Buck grow a beard? 39% said, yes, man up. 21% said, no, you're not hip enough. And 40% would like me to try the Magnum PI mustache. Now, can I pull off the Magnum P.I. mustache? I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one. That's a tough one for me to, to tell you right off the bat. And is anyone ever really able to pull off the greatness of Tom Selleck's mustache from the 80s? I don't know. It was a magnificent thing in its day. But a beard would be fun. I'm going to be honest with you. The problem I have with growing a beard is I get into the itchy phase. I don't know, I guess, itchy face, itchy face phase. How do I get around that? Because that stinks. And then the worst part is if you get the itchy face phase and then you shave, then you look like your face is just, it's not good. A lot of, lot of bumps and redness and bad things going on there. So I, I guess I'm, I'm asking, because we're going into roll call here in a second, I know there's a lot of fantastic beards out there in Team Buckland. I know a lot of you listening to this show have great manly beards. I'm wondering if you have some advice about, one, how to grow the most fantastic beard possible, and two, if you're going to grow that fantastic beard, what, in fact, uh, do you need to do so that it comes in without undue hardship, right? I mean, so that you don't have to go through the period of, oh my gosh, my face itches so much, I'm going to scratch my own face off. And then I got to get into, do I have to, some of you years ago, they took some photo, promo photos of me and I had unshaven photos and I didn't shave my neck. And a lot of you went all crazy about neck beard, which I didn't even know was a thing. And now I'm told that actually, if you're a Brooklyn hipster, neck beard is fine. So which is it? Do you have to shave your neck even if you're growing out the beard? Or is neck beard the au natural way and therefore that is superior? I'm going to have to do some beard research. I don't think I'm going with the ZZ Top, folks. I don't think I'm going to be able to go to that extent. So don't, don't get too crazy here. Probably going to end up looking like an 18-year-old kid who's trying to buy some Paps Blue Ribbon from the local 7-Eleven. I think that's most likely what's going to happen. But nonetheless... I'm giving it some real thought. Should the buck beardeth himself? It is a question for the ages. I'm hoping to have an answer for you by this Friday. So you can weigh in at facebook.com slash buck sexton. And up next, roll call. Team Buck, it's time for roll call. gonna be our last roll call for a full day team because i gotta be out in illinois out in central illinois for a little speech tomorrow i will miss you all very much but you will be in excellent hands with the one and only raheem kassam filling in for me i'm sure you're all looking forward to hearing from raheem again he does have a cool accent and also has a lot of insightful things to say with it uh, so, and I'll be back Friday, not to worry. So we'll have a Freestyle Friday together. Andy writes, hey, Buck, Shields High, still catching up on your iHeartRadio podcast. I know you're a fan of medieval type war movies. I just saw the movie Outlaw King on Netflix. 
It was fantastic and based on the Scottish king, Robert the Bruce. Great acting, and the final battle is one of the most tense I've seen in a long time. Keep it up, Andy. Andy, thank you so much. It's funny you bring it up, because that is my next film that I plan to watch when I'm really kicking back and have the time to enjoy and watch something. I'm going to watch Outlaw King. So I'll have to give you my recommendation, or my uh, review, rather, not recommendation. You've recommended it once I've had a chance to check it out. But I'm definitely looking forward to it, really want to see it. And Chris Pine, I haven't particularly liked in anything in the past, but I'm open to a breakthrough performance from him with this one. So I will uh, certainly be watching it. Paul writes, Hey Buck, how about a comedy segment like Rush does with a song or SNL knockoff impersonation? Uh, Paul, I really like that idea. The only thing is everything I do on this show, I do. So when I write comedy segments, if I do something like Commie Bear, any of that kind of stuff, it it's me and it's tough to keep up with all the news, do all the analysis and write in some of that, those comedy segments. That all said, I am certainly going to try to get more of that worked into the show uh, and maybe do some more fun impersonations here and there. You know, we haven't done gurgling with Gurgen, you know, David Gurgen, CNN, Nixon, Reagan, Fox News, White House, and strategy sessions. And those of you who don't know who David Gurgen is, you have to just go and watch so you can hear how accurate my impression really is. It's, it's quite good. Uh, but yes, I would like to do more comedy-like bits on the show, so uh, thank you for the reminder. G.I. writes, Since every vote counts, can we start making ballots now for Trump 2020? Well, G.I., you raised an important point here, which is every, bo- every vote is not supposed to count. That's not how elections work. Every legal and in-the-time-frame vote cast counts. So I just wish that the libs would get their talking points a little more in order here. It's not as simple as just every vote counts. Dustin writes, Movie correction. While Die Hard is an amazing movie, I believe you misspoke today. Leo Getz was a character from Lethal Weapon. Uh, Yes, you are correct, Dustin. I misspoke. I obviously meant Lethal Weapon. And yes, I don't even know what to say. I feel like I might be demoted from a black belt in action movies to a red belt, right? The red belt was the one before the black belt, at least in the 80s. That was what I thought, even though I always thought the red belt looked cooler. You know, the red belt is scarier than a black belt. Uh, Tyler writes, Joe Pesci, Leo Getz, equals lethal weapon, not die hard. Don't worry, I won't tell anyone you messed up. Shields high, Tyler, I know. You guys, all of you got me. I mean, I make a movie mistake and I get pilloried for it as I deserve to. Lethal Weapon, while a great action movie, is not one of, and I believe it's Lethal Weapon 2, where we, ha, where we have Leo Getz making an appearance. Uh, but Lethal Weapon is not in the same category of action movie greatness, the same degree of action movie greatness as Die Hard. Um, I, I know some of you are going to disagree with me on that, but I still have my action movie red belt, so hiya. Timothy, same thing. Joe Pesci was in Lethal Weapon. I know, I know, I get it. Gosh, man, you guys light me up on this one. I know, you're correct, you're correct. Uh, Chad writes, Hey, Buck, would you please stop labeling neo-Nazis as far right wing? They have nothing to do with conservative or libertarian principles. Heard you describe them that way in a recent podcast. 
Chad, it's it's complicated. Uh, obviously, the Nazis were national socialists and they were ideologically of the left. But the racial component of national socialism, the racist component of national uh, socialism, uh, has been associated with the right in uh, in common discourse for a long time now. And neo-Nazis in the context of this country tend to be about racial purity much more than they are about social welfare programs or collectivism or other things we think about as on the left. Uh, but I'm, I'm actually planning to do some research on neo-Nazi ideology and, uh, well, I've got some plans for a, a bigger project on uh, radical ideology in this country, but I'll have to save that for another time. Josh writes, Buck, Brenda Snipes is where she is because of a rhino named Jeb Bush. Yes, she was elected after and since, but this is a story about a man named Jeb. Jeb! Exclamation point. Josh also writes, can't the president and the current Congress pass an amendment to the fiscal year 2019 budget to cut the House's budget so they couldn't conduct endless investigations? Uh, I don't think so. But I'd have to check. I mean, budgetary matters and parliamentary procedure around them is a pretty specific and somewhat arcane area of uh, congressional stuff, (laughs) congressional stuff. So uh, I I can't answer that question definitively, but I don't think that that would work. Kevin, my man, Kevin, absolutely love listening to you on both Rising and your nightly radio show. I was browsing my 80s playlist and couldn't help but laugh because I think you may have been the guitarist for Breathe, that head of hair, Shields High, Kevin. Well, you know, that guy in the 80s did have a great head of hair. 80s hair was a real celebration of hair, my friends. You know, it was thick. It was luxurious. It it was all about the actual hair. You know, it's not about having a very specific kind of faded in, bladed cut here and there and short on the sides and long on the top. And uh, Although there were mohawks in the 80s, which when you think back to it, some of those 80s punk rocker mohawks were pretty much the wildest looking hair I think you could ever find anywhere. But indeed, um, Laurel writes, Dear Buck, nothing screams beta male louder than no Trumpers in someone's dating profile. It's not just a problem for men. Even women have to deal with those intolerant of thinking for oneself. Ironically, the same profiles usually proclaim how feminist the suitor is. Us swamp dweller really need to think about our dating network, uh, Laurel. Yeah, Laurel, you know, it's it's not not a good scene. Not a good scene out there for conservatives on the dating scene. I got a bunch of single friends right now who are guys and finding Attractive conservative ladies in Washington, D.C. in particular is very, very difficult. And you get a lot of reasonably, superficially at least, attractive women who are just hashtag resistance maniacs. Love watching Rachel Maddow and tuning in to Young Turks on YouTube. And they're not going to like dudes, well, at least like my friends, the kind of guys that I hang out with here who are awesome Patriots um, and uh, and love their country and love freedom in America. It's hard though, man. A lot of uh, a lot of women have no Trump supporter dating rules now, which is uh, is is really just so the whole thing is just so close minded. It's kind of pathetic, uh, but that's that's what's going on. That's what's fashionable on the left. 
Stephen writes, hey, Buck, listening to the comments about election results, one thing comes to mind. If not for the electoral influence of Madison and Milwaukee, Wisconsin would be a red state. We have a saying that Madison is five square miles surrounded by reality for a reason. Shields high, Steve from Wisconsin. Yeah, Steve, I'm sure that's true. We used to say that about Amherst, too, that Amherst College was, or Amherst Town, was four square miles surrounded by reality. Amherst Town once had a an ordinance banning the usage of nuclear weapons within town limits. And I'm pretty sure, I am not if the town council reached out to the Iranian government and Ahmadinejad, or if Ahmadinejad reached out to the town council. For, I forget what the specifics were, but the town council of Amherst College did have some kind of Iranian connection at one point, if, I, if memory serves, unless I'm starting to get old and forget things. Uh, Alan writes, Buck, Bell Canyon, the neighborhood when you were you were in when visiting Alyssa Milano has been hit by brush fire and several homes burnt. Not sure about her house. Fires out here are really bad. Yeah, Alan, I, I think that uh, Alyssa Milano's area has been hit really badly. And I was pleased to see the actor James Woods trying to rally his social media following in order to save some of Alyssa Milano's animals. She has horses on, on her farm. So, uh, you know, I think that that's, that's obviously the approach that everybody should take. Anybody who needs help in a fire, whoever they are, we should all give them that help. ASAP. No questions asked, obviously. And it's good to see that at least we can all agree that fires are bad and we need to help our fellow human beings and, and animals, whenever we can, uh, get away from fire. Brian writes, Shields High Buck, you know, with these recounts and lawsuits going on, Democrats should consider pushing for voter ID laws. Well, I can just tell you, Brian, they don't like they don't like voter ID laws because they don't like anything that makes it harder for there to be shenanigans when it comes to voting. Um, team, that's going to be it for today in the hut. I'm traveling tomorrow, so my buddy Raheem's going to take the hell. I'll be back Friday, though. So until then. Shields high. Who you hire is essential, but how do you know you're hiring somebody who is the way that they've presented themselves, right? How do you know if their background is what they've said it is in resumes and interviews over the phone? You don't want to have a problem on your hands. You don't want somebody you can't trust. You certainly don't want somebody who's a liability. Oh, also, by the way, if you're renting out your property to a, a prospective tenant, this also all applies. You need Global Verification Network. Global Verification Network is the only dual-certified, veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company, okay? They're federally certified as a veteran-owned small business, and they're headquartered here in Chicago, all work done in the U.S. of A. None of it, like a lot of the big background check places, sent overseas or outsourced. You don't want some call center handling the sensitive stuff in the background investigation you have to have done. You want global verification. Call 877-695-1179 or go to mygvn.com. Again, mygvn.com.